calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Henry Bishop's mother-in-law knew how to throw a party. She always knew who to invite, or more importantly, who not to, how much food, and what kind of drinks to get. Henry had never known a more talented hostess. He had actually met his wife Nina at one of her mother's parties. Nina had a joint graduation open house with Henry's friend's girlfriend, and Henry loved the vibe so much he stayed long after his friend had left. The open house seamlessly morphed into a party after the sun went down, and Adelita, his now mother-in-law, had encouraged the festivities' continuation. She had somehow managed the group of liberated 18-year-olds without smothering or hounding them. No one had driven home drunk or high, or discovered another person growing inside them afterwards. Not every party had the celebratory atmosphere of the fateful open house where Henry and Nina's lives collided. No, this story actually begins on a somber night. Nina's grandfather, her abuelo, had passed away in his sleep four days earlier. His Catholic funeral seemed like a dry, stiff way to send off someone with his bubbly, gregarious personality. The traditional funeral is what he wanted, but Adelita thought to truly honor his memory, his family needed a party. Of course, it would not be a rowdy, bass-thumping celebration, but an opportunity to gather and share their memories of abuelo. I understand if you don't want to do this, Adelita said once everyone had filled up on snacks and taken seats around the living room. There were only seven of them, plus a dog someone had brought, Henry hadn't seen who, because Adelita left out some family members who liked to use grief as an excuse for self-pity. She produced a small tin and lifted the lid. Inside, Henry saw what appeared to be soft, red candies. Papa never liked drugs when he was young, but as he grew old, he found a love for marijuana, Adelita explained. He would have hated for these to go to waste, so, if you would like... 
She took one of the edibles herself, then passed the tin to Nina, who also took one. Henry hesitated. He worked for a contractor who had claimed to do random drug testing, but Henry had never been tested before. He figured the odds of getting tested in the next week or so were pretty slim, so he took one of the strawberry gummies and passed the tin along. Two hours later, the somber faces had all but vanished, and everyone was sharing their most hilarious memories of Abuelo. Henry couldn't stop laughing. He didn't have any stories to share himself, but Nina's cousin Martine had enough for everyone. He had been Abuelo's secret favorite, a fact he shared and received an uproarious laughter for. Henry found the mixture of feelings in his head confusing in the most wonderful way. He felt wrapped in the family's undeniable love for each other, and the love was swirling in his brain like a whirlpool. And at the bottom of the whirlpool, untouched, protected by the spinning cyclone, was grief. Henry could see it, feel it there for a second before being whipped away by the intense flow of love. The dog had taken a liking to Henry, and he became primarily responsible for keeping it happy while everyone else shared their stories. Whoever had brought the animal also brought a few toys, and Henry mindlessly played fetch and tug-of-war with the dog while listening. Cousin Martine finished a particularly embarrassing story that left many in tears of both joy and sorrow. The dog started jumping and woofing excitedly, as if trying to imitate their laughter. That only made everyone laugh harder. Henry looked down and wiped his eyes. He became obnoxiously aware of the sore muscles around his jaw, so tired from constantly smiling. When his eyes were clear, he reached down for another toy. He grabbed a frayed rope they had already played with, but then noticed another toy partially hidden beneath the couch. It looked like maybe a giant wasp or cicada. All he could see sticking out from under the couch were two long, transparent wings. Henry stretched to pull the toy out so it wouldn't get lost under the furniture, but when his fingers touched the wings, they disappeared beneath. Henry tilted his head to see under the couch, but he couldn't see the toy. As someone launched into another story, Henry reached under the couch with his fingers to try to fish the toy out, but he couldn't find it. That's weird, he thought. Maybe I bumped it, but it couldn't have gone far. He raised his head a little and felt the sloshy underwater feeling in his brain which reminded him that, although he felt sober, his mind was currently compromised. He smiled sorely and shook his head. He wasn't sure he had imagined the toy, although it seemed he might have. But he knew they would all laugh and blame the drugs if he mentioned it to anyone. No matter either way, he thought, it's just a toy. Henry and Nina were the last guests to leave Adelita's that night. It was nearly three in the morning before they finished wrapping up the leftover snacks. Adelita thanked them for their help, then yawned dramatically. Henry asked if she needed anything else before they left, and she said she would finish cleaning up in the morning. Nina hugged her mom and gave her a kiss on the cheek. Then she and Henry left, not knowing they would never see Adelita alive again. Nina grew concerned after she had not heard from her mother two days later. She had texted twice and tried calling but never got an answer. She didn't tell Henry right away because she didn't want to seem paranoid, but on that second day with no word from Adelita, she finally shared her fears with him. Well, we can stop over there tonight, Henry said, when Nina explained what was happening. He told Nina to get ready while he was in the shower so they could go to Adelita's to check on her. He said, If you want to, we can pick up some takeout on the way and have dinner with her. I'm starving. I love the thought, but I want to get there as quickly as we can. It's been bothering me all day, Nina said. Want me to skip the shower? We can go right now. 
Nina rolled this offer around in her head. Henry could tell she wanted to go right away, but just didn't want to make him. Hey, he said. Grab your jacket and let's head over there. I'm sure she's fine. I can just shower when we get home in half an hour. Nina would have kissed him if he didn't have concrete dust caked in sweat on his cheeks. Instead, she gave him a smile and went for her jacket. Not two minutes later, they were on the road. Adelita's house was dark when they arrived. Her car was parked in the driveway, though. Nina went straight up to the door and rang the doorbell. When that didn't rouse anyone inside, Nina started knocking. Mama, she shouted as she pounded. The window next to the door rattled with each knock. Henry peered through it, guessing he would see Adelita saunter into the entryway at any moment, probably with her apron on, caked in flour. But the dwelling behind the glass remained still. Still, dark, and quiet. Henry, I'm really scared, Nina said, burying her face in Henry's shoulder. He said, I know, I know. We have a key, don't we? Nina nodded and took the keys out of his hands. She started flipping through them until she found the one she was pretty sure opened the door in front of them. They both held their breath as she turned the key and exhaled when they heard the lock click. Nina pushed the door inward and they stepped inside. Henry watched Nina's face, waiting to see if she noticed it. He had detected it the second the door swung open, but he didn't want to say anything. Not yet. It lingered in the air, the sweet, putrid smell of rotting fruit. Nina, if she did notice the smell, didn't acknowledge it. She started calling for her mother as she checked every room downstairs. Henry followed his nose to the stairs, where he found the fermented stench intensified. Nina was in the kitchen, so Henry went up without her. The growing weight of his heart felt like it was trying to push his guts out through his throat. He suppressed the nausea with all the willpower he could muster and went straight to Adelita's bedroom. The door was closed. Every time he had been there before, the door to her room had been open. He thought, she must either be sleeping or... Henry tapped on the door, then cracked it open. Hot air wafted out, bringing enough of that deathly smell with it to knock Henry back a step. He heard a fan blowing inside the room, and based on the temperature of the air, it must have been a space heater that had been left on for quite a while. He pulled up his shirt over his nose and pushed the door all the way open. Adelita? he asked. Her curtains were drawn, but he could see the hill she formed in the bed covers. When Adelita didn't answer or stir, Henry called for Nina. She came running up the stairs. Henry stepped into the room, found the space heater, and shut it off. The thing must have been on the verge of breaking. As it wound down, it made a strange buzzing noise that lasted a few seconds after the fan had stopped. Or so Henry thought. Mama? Nina asked desperately from the doorway. Adelita didn't respond to her either. Henry didn't want to get any closer to the bed. Nina wrinkled her nose and looked around the room, somehow noticing the smell for the first time. Realization dawned in her eyes, and she ran to the bed. She shook her mother, and to their surprise, a tired moan escaped Adelita's mouth. Oh, Mama, Nina cried, relieved. She pulled the covers back and screamed. She fell backwards against the wall where she slid down to the floor, buried her face in her knees, and continued screaming. Henry flipped on the light. Adelita was laying on her left side, stiff and extremely bloated. Her right leg was raised in the air, held there by rigor mortis and the pressure of whatever had expanded her abdomen to nearly twice its normal size. Henry walked to the side of the bed where he could see her face. They had both heard her moan, 
Was it possible she was still alive? Were the bloating and stiffness symptoms of some horrible disease? But when Henry looked into her eyes, he knew Adelita was long dead. Her eyes were wide open and bulging outward, but they looked like crushed ping pong balls. Her irises and pupils were flat and lightless. Her mouth hung open and crooked, and her tongue... Henry got as close as he dared in order to confirm this. Her tongue appeared to be missing. Her mouth was a gaping chasm guarded only by her small, white, silver, and gold teeth. Up close, Henry could also see that Adelita's nose had collapsed inward. The cartilage in the bridge still had the outer organ firm, but it looked like someone had pushed her nose too far into her face. As he examined Adelita's nose, Henry thought he saw something move. Then, beyond any doubt, he saw her nose twitch. Henry jumped back and nearly blacked out. He regained his slippery hold on consciousness and leaned forward once more, mostly to try to convince himself he had imagined the movement. He used the light from his phone to look up Adelita's sunken nose. Then, he finally lost his battle with nausea. He puked at the side of her bed. He kept dry heaving even after he finished vomiting. He felt his body was trying to expel the image of what he had seen in Adelita's nostrils and mouth, but it would remain in his mind until the day he died. They were crawling and twitching inside every dark cavity of her head. Maggots. Like thousands of lively grains of rice. They were consuming Adelita from the inside. Come on, Henry said to Nina once he could breathe again. Let's go call an ambulance. An ambulance? Nina cried. Henry, it's too... too late for... I know, Henry replied. I know, baby. It's just what you do. Come with me. He led her down the stairs and outside, where he called 911 and told the dispatcher his mother-in-law had died. The paramedics couldn't take Adelita away until a police detective looked over the entire house. Adelita had only been 62 with no known health conditions. There was no reason she shouldn't have lived another 20 or 30 comfortable years, and she certainly should not have died in her sleep. Henry approached with one of the waiting paramedics and asked her to step aside with him, out of Nina's earshot. How can I help? she asked, once they were a safe distance away. Well, I'm probably going to sound crazy, but my wife can back me up, Henry said. When we tried to wake Adelita up, we both heard her moan, clear as day, like she was mad at us for waking her. The paramedic pursed her lips and nodded along as Henry described that moment. She said, yeah, I know it's pretty off-putting the first time you hear it, but that's actually very common. In fact, I think every dead bod... Uh, deceased person I've come across has made some sort of vocal noise at one point or another. Not to be crass, but as bodies start breaking down, gas is released inside them, and the slightest movement can force it out. When gas escapes through the throat, it passes the vocal cord and it can vibrate them just like a live person can. I see, Henry said, looking down. He quickly looked back up and asked, Is it normal for maggots to, you know? The paramedic nodded again. Especially in a hot room like that, she said. You know, a few houseflies lay eggs, and the next thing you know... She didn't complete the thought out loud, but it made Henry think. He had definitely seen maggots. But had there been flies? No. No, he hadn't seen or heard a single fly buzzing around. And wouldn't there have been dozens of them? He would have to ask Nina when she recovered from the shock, but he was nearly certain there hadn't been a single fly in the house. They took Adelita away after the police determined there were no signs of foul play. 
Henry overheard the detective telling an officer that the coroner would have a hell of a time with the autopsy. He didn't know what to make of that and didn't share it with Nina. To her, all that mattered was that she had just lost her mother. Henry just needed to take her home. Two days later, Nina and Henry were sitting on the couch absently half-watching old Seinfeld episodes. They didn't feel like laughing, but it was one of the few shows they could find that didn't constantly deal with death. They had both put in for a few days' time off at work, but Henry was wondering if he could actually stay home that long. He had completed his own grieving process and had tried to make himself available to Nina, but she didn't want or need his help. He was just sort of there. And he supposed, after reading a few articles online, that there was all he needed to be, but he couldn't help feeling a little useless. And he was starting to get bored. Hey, honey, what would you think about me going back to work tomorrow? He asked. Why? They gave you the time off. You should take it, she replied. Well, I'm mostly just sitting here thinking about all the projects I have waiting for me back at the office and worrying about what new ones are building up. It's driving me a little nuts thinking about all that while we're just sitting here watching Kramer run into doors. Nina considered this. She had honestly gotten bored as well, although she felt nowhere near ready to return to the office. But there was a hands-on task she had been dwelling on. That's fine, she finally said. If you're ready, you should go back. I was actually thinking of going to Mom's tomorrow to look through some things. I want to do it before people come into town for the funeral this weekend. How come? Henry asked. Well, I figured I could open up the house for family so they don't have to get hotels, but I don't want them going through Mom's things before I do. I'm fine if they want to take a few things, I just want to make sure they don't take anything that's mine or anything that was promised to me. Didn't your mom have a will? Nina shook her head. Hmm. Well, how about I help you with that instead of going back to work? I don't want you to have to go back there for the first time alone. I'd like to, actually, to go back alone. So far I've done all my grieving with you holding my hand, which has been nice, don't get me wrong, but I think I need to spend some time alone. Henry's lips twisted off to one side while he worked out the right next move. He didn't like it, but what Nina was saying made sense. She seemed like she was being honest, too. All right, he finally said. I'll go back to work in the morning. Nina smiled weakly, and the TV audience laughed. Henry got up before Nina the next morning. He was always surprised how quickly the morning routine came back to him after a few days off. By seven, he was out the door. He looked up at their curtained bedroom window through the windshield of his car as he backed down the driveway. Was he doing the right thing? He decided he was. Maybe it was not the wisest or smartest thing, but it was what his wife had asked for. This was her grieving process, and he needed to follow her lead. Henry's boss was surprised but glad to see him back early. Henry felt like a psychic as his boss told him about all the new projects he would be working on after catching up from his absence. Within an hour, He had all but forgotten about Nina and her plans for the day. He was reminded around 10.40 when his phone rang. He answered, Hey babe, how's it going over there? You make it to the house yet? An unintelligible groan came through the speaker, followed by a wet sob. Okay, hey, hang on just a sec. Henry put down his tools and went around to the edge of the building site to a semi-private area where he was mostly out of earshot from his co-workers. The whole time he was walking, Nina was trying to say something on the other end of the line. She just couldn't get any words out. Okay, what's going on? He asked in privacy. There's... there's... Nina, take a breath. It's... there's... I can't get out. 
She finally formed the words in a jumbled rush. You can't get out of where? The house? The bathroom, Nina whispered. I'm trapped. There's... there's... I should have known this would happen, Henry thought. It was too soon to go back. Okay, Nina, listen to me. I want you to stay there and stay calm. I'm going to come get you after I talk to my boss. No, Henry, you can't. Yes, I can and I will. Just hang in there, okay? No, Henry. I'll be right there. He hung up. If he had stayed on the line, they would have played the same back and forth game for who knows how long with him saying he'd come and her telling him to stay. But wait, no, she needed him. Henry went to his boss's office and explained what was happening. He said he might try to come back after lunch if he could get Nina settled in at home. Nina called him twice while he was explaining the situation. He silenced both calls. He called Nina back on the way to Adelita's house. She picked up before the first ring finished chiming. Henry, you can't come in the house. They'll kill you. Who's going to kill me? Is there someone else in the house? Henry's heart rate skyrocketed as he wondered just what Nina had been unable to verbalize before. No, not people. I don't know what they are, but they're huge, Henry. Huge. I I think they might have killed Mom. Is she having a psychotic break? Henry couldn't help but wonder. Okay, where are you right now? He asked. He was a mile from the house. Upstairs bathroom. I put towels under the door, but I'm worried about the vents. I can hear them buzzing around and I can't tell if they're inside the vents or if the sound is just traveling through. Henry, there's dozens of them. Dozens of what, Nina? You're not making any sense. I don't know. Bugs, she said, spitting the word from her mouth as if it were an actual bug. Giant flying bugs with these long wings. They almost got me when I opened the door to Mom's room. The house was in view, but Henry almost didn't make it there. He almost veered off the street and hit a lamp. He had suddenly remembered that night everyone had been together when Adelita had handed out Abuelo's gummies. He had thought he imagined those long wings poking out from under the couch, so he had said nothing. He righted the car at the last second, gunned the engine for the final half a block, and slammed on the brakes in Adelita's driveway. I'm coming, Nina, he said. Then, wanting use of both hands, he hung up the phone and put it in his pocket. He looked around the car for a weapon, but all he found were a few quarters in the ashtray. He ran up to the door, hoping Nina had left it unlocked. As he approached the house, he could already hear them. They were buzzing at a lower frequency and chirping louder than any insect Henry had ever heard. The noises gave him the first hint of just how big the creatures were. It was then he realized the sound he had heard when he shut off the space heater had not been the fan powering down. Again, he pictured those long wings sticking out from the couch and cursed himself. I could have saved her. The front door was indeed unlocked, and when Henry cracked it open and peered through, everything appeared normal. It looked like Nina had gone around the ground floor and opened all the curtains before heading upstairs. Henry shuddered as he wondered how long his wife had been inside the house before discovering the hideous danger upstairs. He didn't want to call out, so he texted Nina to tell her he was inside. She didn't respond right away, so he put his phone away and started searching for a weapon. He went to the kitchen. Right away, he saw the fly swatter hanging behind the fridge and almost laughed. To start, Henry grabbed the largest knife he could find. Then he searched the drawers. He found a lighter with a flexible neck. It gave him an idea, and he put it in his back pocket. Nina finally texted him back, but he didn't like what she said. The text read, One of them found the bathroom vent. Henry replied, can it get in? 
Nina typed, I'm not sure. No more time to search and plan. Henry had to get Nina out of there. He went to the stairs where the buzzing and chirping was almost unbearably loud. He wondered why none of the bugs had come downstairs, then wondered if maybe the uncovered windows had something to do with it. Maybe they hated light. He texted Nina, telling her to shine her phone at the bug in the vent. Fifteen seconds later, she responded, It worked. Henry smiled a grim, hard smile. He had a plan. He went up the stairs holding his phone out in his left hand and the knife in his right, but all confidence left him when he reached the top. The upstairs hallway was dark and appeared to be moving. Dozens of insects, some with bodies at least six inches long, were crawling all over the floor, ceiling, and both walls. Their wings looked nearly as long as his forearms. Their bodies were army green, long and narrow like dragonflies. Their abdomens, he was horrified to see, were punctuated by stingers the size of rose thorns. The stingers were bright red, a color nature usually reserved for danger. Henry assumed they were poisonous and likely very deadly. He prayed a quick apology to Adelita for not warning her about what he had seen under the couch. The bathroom was all the way down the hall, across from Adelita's room. If there was a positive factor, it was that Henry's light hypothesis seemed to be correct. The massive insects were staying back from the light of his phone, but Henry had a problem. The light only went one direction. If he stepped forward, parting the swarm like Moses at the Red Sea, he would leave his back open to attack. He considered checking Adelita's basement for a lamp or something else that would shine omnidirectional light in the hallway, but down the hall, Nina screamed. Her screams excited the swarm. Their hungry jaws clicked as most of them buzzed into the air. A few knocked right into the bathroom door, perfectly triangulating their prey. Their hard bodies knocking against the door sounded like heavy, pounding fists. Stay there, Nina, Henry shouted, worried she might think those hammering insects were him trying to get in. She continued to scream. That bug in the vent must have gotten through. Henry was out of time. With a guttural cry, he ran through the swarming cloud. His light acted like a plow, pushing insects out of the way, but as he had predicted, they filled in right back behind him. A few landed on his back, hitting him like softballs and nearly knocking him face first to the ground. One landed on his shoulder, and he heard its sharp jaws clicking in his ear. He slashed at it with the knife and dislodged it, but cut himself too. He finally reached the door and had to drop the knife to grab the doorknob. He spun around to push the swarm away with his light. As he did, he also slammed his back into the door, crushing two bugs still clinging there. He felt his shirt grow wet with their fluids. He was surprised none of them had stung him. With the swarm back as far as he could push it, Henry opened the bathroom door and slipped inside, slamming it shut behind him. Nina was cowering next to the toilet and shining her light at the vent. There were enough of those bugs behind the vent now to make it bulge. The screws holding it in place were starting to pop out of the drywall. Hang on, keep your light on them, Henry said. He opened the cabinet above the sink and started knocking makeup and bottles of skincare products to the floor. He had one particular bottle in mind. He hoped it would be in this bathroom and not the one downstairs. He realized he should have checked there first. He knew Adelita had had some because he could smell it on her every time they came over. He wanted to smack himself as he glanced down at the counter and saw it. The bottle of hairspray. Of course it wouldn't have been tucked away. Adelita had used it daily. Stay back, he shouted at Nina. He pulled the lighter out of his back pocket and held it, lit, in front of the hairspray. When he pushed down on the aerosol cap, dragon's breath flew at the massive insects behind the vent. They stopped buzzing and making their chittering sounds. 
their bodies popped and cracked as they were instantly cooked. But the bugs behind the front line were protected by the scorched bodies in front of them, and they kept pushing. Bits of charred bug began falling through the vent as the dead ones were used as a sort of shield-battering-ram hybrid. "'We've got to get out of here,' Henry shouted over the roaring flame. Nina nodded vigorously. Henry helped her up and said, "'Stay behind me.' With his makeshift flamethrower prepped, he told Nina to open the door. As soon as it cracked open, he started to spray. He created a wide arc, keeping any bugs that thought about filling in behind him and attacking Nina at bay. Henry couldn't help but laugh as he watched them falling over each other trying to get away. One tried flying with its wings on fire and quickly fell into the stampeding mass below it. Nina clutched Henry's shirt. He was grateful to know where she was without having to take his eyes off the swarm. Unfortunately, Henry's indiscriminate flamethrower caught more than the fleeing bugs in its blazing fury. A decorative quilt hanging in the hallway caught first, then a few framed photos. The flames climbed up the walls, licking the ceiling. Halfway down the hall, the spray from the can started dwindling. Henry dreaded losing his weapon, but the fires he had started created enough light to keep the bugs in a frenzied panic. Henry shouted, Run! as the last few drops piddled out of the can. He tossed it over his shoulder, grabbed Nina's hand, and dragged her at a full sprint down the stairs. He didn't stop even after they reached the safety of the window's light. He didn't let go of her hand until they were outside, where he suddenly collapsed. Henry? Nina asked. He had fallen face down, and the back of his shirt was covered in blood. Terrified, she lifted his bloody shirt and confirmed her worst fear. Henry's back was covered in over a dozen swollen red puncture wounds. Whatever poison those bugs had in their stingers must have also numbed their victims. Nina called 911, and fortunately, the paramedics arrived while Henry was still breathing. Nina rode with him to the hospital as her mother's house burned to the ground, taking every last one of those terrible creatures with it. Just a few hours earlier, the coroner had arrived for his shift at the hospital. He entered the dim morgue and checked his schedule. First on the docket was the autopsy of a 62-year-old Hispanic woman. Cause of death? Undetermined. Someone upstairs had warned him about this one, said it was already infested with maggots. Oh well, he thought. Nothing he hadn't seen before. He sanitized his hands, put on his face covering, and turned off all the lights except for one bright bulb above the operating table. He liked to minimize distractions and found it best to keep the rest of the room dark. He then located the drawer labeled AR, the Hispanic woman's initials, and opened the door. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama. 
where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>